This dynamic message is brought to you by Redemption in Jesus with Marco Rava. Praise God. All right, so here is the title of our next installment in our series today. So it is the freeing truth about right standing with God. There's a famous quote that uh, is often referred to uh, in Christendom by Charles Spurgeon, and this is how it goes. He said, and I quote, Right believing results in right living. End quote. So basically, one of the things that Charles Spurgeon propagated and said was is that when someone believes right, they will also live right. And he wasn't talking about necessarily conduct, behavior, or actions. He was talking about if you believe correctly, if you believe rightly the gospel, then you will also live it out rightly and correctly. So it was about doctrine. It was about a clear understanding of gospel truth. That's what he was referring to. And so that's what we want to do in the series, and that's what we are doing in today's teaching when we talk about right standing with God. We need to make sure we believe right. Now, why would you say that? Well, because remember, there was a time in my life too where I was taught that, yes, we have righteousness in Jesus, but I was also taught and told at the same time, kind of like a two-sided coin, you know, the one side is you have righteousness in Jesus. But the flip side would say, well, you can lose that righteousness. If you don't behave, if you don't do right, if you don't live right, you can lose your right standing with God. And I remember being so confused by that. But you know, when all you're taught is legalism and you're in an environment, well, what else are you going to do but to accept that? And you know, since then, I have come to see and realize, and many, many people preach what I'm preaching or what I'm sharing with you, uh, Paul the Apostle did. Jesus spoke about this. His word speaks about that. So I lived in dread and fear for a long time, thinking, well, praise God for righteousness, for right standing before God. But at the same time, I would live in fear. And honestly, I would fake it until hoping to make it. And, you know, did righteous and focused on being right and doing right. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. We need to do that. But I believe it needs to be an outflow of our understanding of right standing instead of trying to gain understanding. And so it's one of the reasons why we need to remind ourselves of this. But today I also want to show you another aspect of this wonderful righteousness that we have in Jesus. And so without a proper understanding of right standing with God, two things will happen. Many things will happen, but two of the things that I want to bring your attention to today or draw your attention to. He says, number one, we'll not be able to enjoy the kind of relationship that God wants us to enjoy with Him. Because if you don't believe that you have right standing with Him, you're always going to feel inferior. You're always going to feel like you are not worthy enough or accepted by God. So uh, a lack of understanding of right standing with God will affect your relationship with God. Secondly, this is that it will prevent you from living the victorious life that God provided for you and I in Jesus. In other words, we will live defeated. We will let sin defeat us. Unrighteousness, when we mess up, it'll cause us to live not victorious. And God certainly wants those two things. It's one of the reasons, two of the reasons why God provided right standing for us. Number one, so we can enjoy the relationship that He wants us to have with Him. 
And number two, so we can live victorious in this life. So no matter what we face, no matter what goes on, we stand solid in our right standing in Jesus. Amen. And so that's why Charles Spurgeon said, if you believe the right thing about righteousness, you will live the right life with that righteousness. That's another way you could put that. And so one of the most important truths that a believer needs to understand and be well established in is right stand, or should I say the right standing that God makes available to us. We need to understand it. We need to be well established in that. So having said that then, what is right standing with God? The term itself is pretty self-explanatory. It means to have right standing with God. In other words, if God were to appear before you, you wouldn't feel inferior, you wouldn't feel insecure, you wouldn't feel any way like you're not acceptable to God. If you really truly understand right standing with God in Jesus, you would be confident, you would be bold, yes, you would be um, reverential, yes, you would have the fear of God, you wouldn't be scared of God, but you would have fear for God, which is reverence and respect and honor, but you wouldn't feel anything negative. So right standing with God, well, what is it? Right standing with God is the state, or you could say the quality of being right and just before God. In other words, if you were to appear in the presence of God, if God appeared right now where you are, you would feel that you are right and you are just before God. I know that it's easy to say those things, but I come across believers so often who don't feel that way. And if we let ourselves go with our feelings and based on what we do and what we don't do, we can end up feeling not that way. In other words, we don't feel right before God. We don't feel just before God. But right standing is the state and the quality. So in other words, it's a continuous state of being, a continuous state of mind that we need to be in. Right standing also means that we have God's unconditional acceptance. So if you have a solid belief in right standing, in the righteousness that you, have, that you have, that God gives to you when you receive salvation in Jesus, then you also know that you have or that you are accepted by God and you have His acceptance. In other words, you don't ever feel rejected by God. You don't ever feel like you're not acceptable to God. You have a continuous confidence, regardless of your merit or performance. You have a continuous mindset and knowing that God accepts you. That's what right standing is. And so we need to be well established in that because God has made that possible and available to us in Jesus. Now, let's have a look at Psalm 145, verse 17, from the King James translation. Watch what it says about God. It says, The Lord is righteous in all His ways. Not in some of His ways, but all His ways. And holy in all His works. Now look at that real carefully. Why is He righteous in every single one of His ways, in all His ways? That's because He is righteous, right? He is righteousness. And why is He holy in all His works? Because He is holy. In other words, what this is revealing to us is, is that the nature of God is righteous and holy. 
And because he is righteous and holy, everything he does and say is also righteous and holy because that's who he is. He is the source of righteousness. He is the source of holiness. He cannot be anything but righteous and holy because that's who he is. So God, you could put it this way, is inherently righteous and holy. And therefore, in order to be able to relate to him, to have a relationship with him, we too must be righteous and holy because that's his nature, that's his character. And in order for us to relate to him, to enjoy a relationship with him, we too need to be righteous and holy. And we know that in and of ourselves, we are not. We know that without salvation in Jesus and without Jesus and what he did to redeem us, in other words, in fallen Adam, who's our ancestor, we are not righteous and holy. Let me remind you what Romans 3 verse 10 says. It's right there on the screen. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. What in essence, (laughs) Paul the Apostle reveals to us there by the Holy Spirit, is that in and of ourselves, outside of Jesus, in Adam, fallen Adam, and we're all his fallen descendants, there is none who is righteous. So if God is inherently righteous and holy, and we are not in and of ourselves, we can never enjoy a relationship with God. This is why God did something about that, so that we can be made righteous and holy. And I'm not talking about pie in the sky, just believing nice cliches. This is actual fact, actual truth. Just like when you see yourself in the mirror, you see the fact that you are alive and that's you. In the same way, righteousness and holiness is a reality that we can have now. And for those of us who receive salvation, we have it now. This is why we can relate to God. So He's inherently righteous and holy. And therefore in Jesus, we become inherently righteous and holy. And therefore we can have a relationship with Him and be acceptable to God. Amen. Of course, as descendants of fallen Adam, we are inherently unrighteous and unholy. And this is why God provides for us righteousness and holiness in Jesus. Now, here's the thing. Some people think that righteousness can be achieved. Some people think that holiness can be achieved. I've heard illustrations that go some into the fact that, you know, righteousness and holiness is like a muscle. The more you go to gym, the more you work out, the better you develop it, the more it becomes strong and then becomes dominant. They say in the same way, you know, righteousness and holiness is the same way. The more you practice rightness and the more you practice holiness, in other words, you avoid evil and sin, the more righteous and holy you will become. Now, yes, you will feel that way and yes, it will benefit you that way. But that's not how you become righteous and holy. You first, because you cannot If we could achieve righteousness and holiness, we wouldn't need redemption in Jesus. We wouldn't need salvation in Jesus. We could just achieve it and it's done. God could just tell us how to achieve it and how to get, you know, to the perfect place. And then that's it. It's because we cannot that God provides it for us outside of ourselves. And praise God that He does because He provides it perfectly. We don't have to wonder and question the quality of our righteousness, the quality of our holiness. We don't have to think, well, you know, it's 99%. It's, it's 97%. No, it's 100%. Amen. Because it's not in and of ourselves. It's in 
Jesus. So even our best attempts at righteousness cannot make us righteous before God. Did you hear what I said? Even our best attempts at righteousness cannot make us righteous before God. So you can take a person in the world that you may know or have heard about who will tell you that they've, they don't remember ever sinning. That alone is already a sin right there. But you could have someone who will tell you they've lived an almost perfect life. They've never fallen into sin. They've never done this. They've never done that. They could tell you, you know, I feel like I've, I'm righteous. I feel like I've done it. No matter how good they are and how well they have lived, righteousness cannot be achieved. It cannot be earned. It cannot be deserved because it's impossible in and of ourselves. There is none righteous. No, not one. We're all descendants of a fallen being and fallen beings cannot achieve perfect righteousness in and of themselves. So even our best attempts cannot um, make us righteous before God. Let me show you this in Isaiah 64 verse 6. The prophet Isaiah prophesied this from the Amplified Translation here. He says, For we all have become like one who is ceremonially unclean, like a leper. Watch this. And all our deeds of righteousness are like filthy rags. Notice every single one of them, no matter how good they are. We all wither and decay like a leaf. And our wickedness, our sin, our injustice, our wrongdoing, like the wind takes us away, carrying us far from God's favor toward destruction. Look there. Even our best attempts at righteousness can never make us righteous. So at the end of the day, if anyone is trusting in themselves, in their merit, in their performance to be righteous, it's never going to happen. They are never going to be able to get to a place where they can say, I am righteous before God. Because it's an impossibility. Now I know that I'm covering the basics here. But that's because of where I'm going with this and what I want to show you today. And so let's have a look at Romans 5.17 now. And this is going to show us how righteousness, true righteousness, complete righteousness, whole righteousness is made available to us from God in Jesus. Watch this. Romans 5.17. It says... For if by the trespass of the one man, Adam, death reigned through the one Adam. In other words, Adam fell and as a result, we're all fallen beings. Much more, it says, surely will those, watch us, who receive the abundance of grace. In other words, unmerited favor and the free gift of righteousness will reign in eternal life. Through the one Jesus Christ. Now it's not just eternal life. But also this life. Because it's a reality that's talking about now. But notice it says there. Number one. We receive righteousness. As like we receive grace. Unmerited favor. And notice that righteousness. Is also a gift. You know if I were to bring a gift to you. Let's just say it was your birthday. And I brought a gift to you. And it's this beautiful piece of jewelry, one of your favorites that you would like to have. And I give it to you. You open it up and you just blown out of your mind. It's like, wow, I can't believe you did this. And it's exactly what I love, what I've been wanting. 
And you say, well, thank you. You look at me in the eyes and you say, thank you. And you've got tears in your eyes and you're ready to hug me. And I kind of push you back before you hug me. And I say, well, here's the receipt. You need to pay me back. I mean, <laughs> what are you going to do with that? Most of us will probably say, oh, okay, thanks. Take it back. I'll get my own. Appreciate it. You know, whatever. I mean, it's just weird. If I'm going to charge you for something that I am calling a gift, then it's not really a gift. Or if I say to you, well, you know, for the next two weeks, you need to phone me every day and say thank you, and you need to wear it every day to show me that you appreciate it, you're going to be like, okay, is this really a gift? Because now you're giving me conditions to earn and deserve it. Well, no, it's not really a gift, right? It's manipulation, it's control, call it whatever you like. It's not a gift. A gift is given without conditions. It is given not because you earn or deserve it, not because there's conditions imposed on you, not because there's a prize expected in return or payment. No, it is a gift just given freely. And here it says that number one, righteousness is a free gift and it is received by grace. In other words, outside of our merit of performance. In other words, you cannot do anything to earn or deserve it, to achieve it. You just simply receive it, it says. So when we receive salvation in Jesus, we also receive the free gift of right standing with God and that outside of our merit or performance. Why? Because we cannot achieve it. We've seen that already. So it's pretty awesome how God makes righteousness available to us this way. Isn't that amazing? I mean, I know sometimes people struggle with that. It's like, how can something so awesome be just given to me? Well, salvation is also a gift because we can't save ourselves, right? And so praise God for His righteousness. So it cannot be achieved, it cannot be earned, and it is certainly not deserved. It can only be received. And so my next question to you is, how do you receive it? You receive it by faith. In other words, you receive it by believing. In other words, all it takes for you to do is to acknowledge, and you can say it if you like, but if you just believe it, you receive it. And when you believe it, it is completely yours. It is not partial righteousness. It's not a kickstart to righteousness. It is the entirety of righteousness. In actual fact, as we'll see in a moment, we become as righteous as God is. Why? Because in order to relate to Him, in order to have a relationship with Him, we have to be made equal to Him in terms of righteousness and holiness. And this is why God does that in Jesus. He makes us equally as righteous as He is so that we can have a relationship with Him without inferiority or complex or anything like that. Amen. Watch us now in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 from the Passion Translation. It says, God made the only one, talking about Jesus, who did not know sin to become sin for us. So Jesus didn't just take on our sin. He became our state of sin as well. Then it says, so that we who did not know righteousness might become See, you don't just get it, you become it. Might become the righteousness of God through our union with 
Him. That is so powerful because what He's telling us is, is that Jesus took on our fallen nature, took it upon Himself, and all the sin that comes with it, and He died with it and for it. And the reason why He did that is, is that so those of us who did not know the kind of righteousness that God is, can receive it, but not just receive it, also become it. Powerful, isn't it? So, you didn't just receive an attribute of righteousness. You didn't just receive an amount of righteousness. You actually became as righteous as God is. So, you became equally righteous as God. Now, of course, that's talking about your, who you really are. That's your spirit. But that's who you are. And so you are righteous before God. And this is why you can have a relationship with Him. So you always have right standing with God. Because when He made you righteous, it's because He wanted you to be in a state or a condition or a quality of total righteousness as He is all the time so that He can have a relationship with you all the time. Amen? So He made you as He is, so you can be with Him as He is. It's powerful, isn't it? And so that's the power of righteousness. That's the righteousness we have in Jesus. So in and through Jesus, God makes us righteous. In Jesus, we become as righteous as God is. I mean, some people just take that for granted because it's just head knowledge and, you know, yeah, I know that, thank you. But is it revelation? There's a difference between knowing something and having a revelation of something. You know, you often hear me talk about this. I know about famous people, but that doesn't mean I know them. It's the same thing here. You may know all these facts about righteousness, but do you know righteousness? You see, that's the thing is the fact that we need to know righteousness. And the way we know that righteousness is when we have the confidence that we live in it. In other words, yes, I I'm not always perfect on the outside. Yes, I live in this fallen body and make mistakes. But as far as God is concerned, because I received salvation in Jesus and I received the gift of righteousness by believing and I continue to believe it, this is why I am righteous. This is why I have righteousness. This is why I am as righteous as God is. And you can have confidence in relating to God outside of your marital performance. And that's what God wants. Amen. So we are righteous. We don't just have right standing with God. We are in the state of right standing with God. We have the condition, the quality, the state. Amen. So having said that then, we need to ask the question, can our righteousness in Jesus be lost, be reversed, or undone? Religion will tell you yes. Legalistic interpretation of Scripture will tell you yes. Legalistic teaching will tell you yes. You can lose your salvation. You can reverse it. It can be reversed. It can be undone. Well, then my next question needs to be, is, is that, are you telling me that what Jesus did, what God did in and through Jesus to make me righteous, are you telling me that it can, that it can be undone 
by what I do or fail to do? If the answer to that is yes, then what we are saying is, is that what Jesus did, or should I say, what Adam did is greater than what Jesus did. Because Adam did it, messed it up, lost our righteousness. God in Jesus came, fixed it, took, redeemed us, and made us righteous. And now that we are righteous, there's some who say, well, what Adam did, which is what, if you end up doing, in other words, engaging in sin is going to undo, again, what Jesus did to undo what Adam did. And so really, at the end of the day, it doesn't take much to figure out and say, okay, so basically, sin or sinning or sinfulness can actually undo what Jesus did. Now, please, by no means, this is where we tread on ground, where legalistic people just think we're saying things that we're not saying. I'm not saying that it's okay to engage in sinfulness because it can never undo the righteousness God gave in Jesus. But it doesn't take away the fact that you will never lose that righteousness. It cannot, and I'm going to show you that in a moment, but it cannot be lost. Now, if you take that as an excuse to go and engage in sinfulness, if someone does that, clearly they don't really have a revelation of righteousness. Because once you are the righteousness of God, and you believe that and you embrace that, that righteousness is going to live out of you and cause you to live right and be right and do right because that's what righteousness does. It's not an empowerment to go and sin. Rather, it's the empowerment to live free from sin. Amen? But it doesn't take away the fact that what Jesus did to make us righteous or to give us right standing with God cannot be undone or reversed. No, it cannot. The answer to that is a resounding no. Our righteousness in Jesus cannot be undone, cannot be reversed, it cannot be lost. Otherwise, what was the point of redemption in Jesus? Amen. Then we can go back to just achieving it. Let me show you some of this. Romans 4 verse 5 and 6. Watch this from the New King James. It says, But to him or her who does not work, in other words, try and earn and deserve, but believes, there it is, simply believe, on him, watches who justifies, that's another way of saying makes righteous, who justifies the ungodly. So when we were ungodly, God justifies, and he who believes it receives it by grace, remember? His faith, in other words, his believing, is accounted for righteousness. In other words, if someone simply believes that in and through Jesus they were made righteous, then the fact that they believe that makes them righteous. It is accounted to them. Just as David, that's King David, also describes the blessedness of the man or woman to whom God, watches, imputes righteousness, watches, apart from works. Notice the emphasis here is about simply believing and receiving it by grace. There's no earning, there's no deserving, right? That is made very clear. In actual fact, the way that it ends, and it says, apart from works. In other words, it's apart from you trying to earn or deserve or achieve it. It cannot be. It's imputed to you. So, what does it mean to impute? And, you know, I could show you the definitions and we can spend time on that. 
but I'll let you do that and then I'm just going to tell you what the conclusion is. To impute means to conclude as. It also can be translated as to reckon as. So you could say that this way, God concludes us as righteous apart from our merit and performance. Or you could say this way, God reckons us as righteous outside of our doing or failing to do. In other words, He simply concludes us, He simply reckons us as righteous because we believe it. We receive it by faith in and through Jesus. Amen. So in Jesus, God reckons us as righteous. In other words, as having right standing with Him apart from our doing, apart from our merit, from our performance. Isn't that powerful? Aren't you glad about the fact that you have right standing with God outside of your doing or not doing? I sure am. So we can see from that that our righteousness in Jesus cannot be lost. It cannot be reversed or undone. People who will tell you scripture, read you scripture and if they somehow come across and present scripture to you, like it's saying that you can lose your righteousness in Jesus, that it can be undone, it can be reversed. I guarantee you right now, because I used to do it. Remember, I was in that world. I can tell you right now, they are quoting it out of context. They are not letting the Bible interpret the Bible. They are not reading everything in context. And also, they are not looking at it through the lens of the finished work of the cross, which is what the whole Bible is about. I used to do it. That's why I'm telling you that. I used to believe that. I used to teach that. And I used to live there in that fearful, terrible state of dreading and fearing that I would lose my righteousness in Jesus. The fact is, is, is that it cannot be lost. It cannot be reversed. It cannot be undone. Number one, because it's not earned. It's not deserved. It is simply believed upon and it is received by grace. And God imputes it to you. He reckons it to you. It's a gift. So how is God going to take His gift back? Can you lose that gift? No, you cannot because it's a spiritual, eternal gift. Amen. Now I want to show you in the time we have left a powerful example in the Old Covenant. How it kind of portrays the power of God's righteousness. Not only His own righteousness, the fact that He is righteous, but also how His righteousness works in our lives, how, he's, how He applies and how He stands by His righteousness that He gives to us. It's pretty powerful. Now, for me to share this with you, I have to give you the background real quick because we won't have time to get into all of it in the whole scripture, but I'm going to show you some relevant parts. You know that before the cross, God instituted the law and the law basically included animal sacrifices. And even before the law, he showed Abraham how to sacrifice animals. When Adam and Eve messed up, God brought them coats of skin to clothe them and cover them, meaning that he sacrificed, he made the first sacrifice for their sins. Now in the old covenant before the cross, animal sacrifices were a type and a shadow of Jesus and the finished work of the cross. We see that in scripture. We've studied that before. So you know, whenever you see a sacrifice, animal sacrifice take place in the Old Testament, it is all a type of Jesus until Jesus came and sacrificed himself. 
Beyond that, there was no more animal sacrifice because that was not necessary because the permanent real sacrifice came and the issue was dealt with once for all time. But before that, they applied the animal sacrifice system to live in the reality of the new covenant, if you will. To live in the reality of Jesus and the finished work of the cross. Amen. Does that make sense? And so that's what they did. And so this is what we're going to see here and how this is applicable. Because you will see that even though it doesn't use New Testament or New Covenant terminology, it actually uses the terminology that points to the same thing. Righteousness in Jesus, right standing before God by Jesus and the finished work of the cross. Okay, so I want to make sure that we understand that. So here's the prophet Micah in Micah chapter 6 and verse 5. And watch what he says to the people of his time about a thing that happened, a situation that happened hundreds of years before his time, but he is pointing to them because they had the scriptures. So he points them to that account to remind them and make sure they understand the reality of God's righteousness, not only him as righteous, but the righteousness he imputes to people who apply the finished work of the cross, if you will. He, he's right here to remind them. You'll see what I mean in a moment. Micah 6 verse 5. Let's read that. This is a powerful example. Remember, we're talking about how it cannot be reversed, undone, or lost. Micah chapter 6 verse 5. He says, O my people. Now he's doing this inspired by the Lord. So this is really God speaking here. O my people, remember how what Balak, king of Moab, counseled, and Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him. From Acacia Grove to Gilgal. Watch this. That you may know the righteousness of the Lord. Now let's leave that there for a moment. Let me point out some things to you. Micah, in essence, is saying, I want to remind you of something that happened hundreds of years ago between Balak and Balaam about Israel, or to do with Israel. You'll see all that in a moment. And he says, I want to remind you of that. Now, to fill in, Balak was the king of Moab, a pagan king. They were not God-fearing people. They worshipped idols and all kinds of things. They were pagan. And so what happens is, is that the children of Israel, as they were traveling with Moses and Aaron through to the promised land, came across the land of Moab. As the children of Israel are traveling through the land of Moab, this king Balak takes notice of it. And he had just seen how his neighbor, the Amorites, were defeated by the Israelites by the power of God. And so, knowing that as they traveled, they were just defeating pagan nation after pagan nation, he definitely didn't want to be the next victim. And so, in fear and dread, he starts thinking, what can I do to prevent these people from coming through my land, probably defeating me and conquering me? What can I do to stop that? So, this is what Mike is making reference to. What Balak does is he sends for a man he knew as Balaam. Now Balaam, even though he pretended to be a man of God, a prophet of God, really Balaam was a 
soothsayer, he was a diviner, he practiced witchcraft and all kinds of different things. Amongst that, you know, he, he did godly things and God did speak to him because there was, I mean, God spoke to, spoke to Pharaoh and other pagan people too. So it was no surprise, but for his people, that is, or in favor of his people. And so because this Balaam was a known soothsayer and diviner who would place curses on people and they would see those curses come to light in those people's lives, then he would also bless certain people and they would see those blessings come to pass in those he blessed. And so he was known to have this kind of power. And so what Balak does is he sends for this man, Balaam. And basically his request is, come and curse the people of Israel. Because if you curse them, then they're not going to succeed against me and they're not going to conquer me. So he was trying to prevent that this way. And so, Balaam, I'm making the story short. You need to read Numbers 22, 23, and 24. Or listen to it in your order Bible. It's pretty awesome stuff. It'll bless you. And I'm sure you're familiar with it. What Balaam does is, you know, he tries to play man of God and questions God and says, no, I'm not going to go. Yes, I'm going to go. No, I'm not going to go. Okay, God says I can go. And because, you know, a lot of carrots were put before him, a lot of promises and wealth and possession. And so he does eventually go. But before he goes, God tells Balaam, you cannot curse what I have blessed. So it is not go you are not going to succeed. But Balaam goes anyway, you know, because he's enticed by all of this. So what Micah is saying here is remember that account. And he says at the end, that you may know the righteousness of the Lord. In other words, the reason why Micah wanted to remind the people, or God through Micah, wanted to remind the people about that account is to remind them about the righteousness of God. In other words, not just how righteous God is, but how His righteousness works for His people. Okay, That's the key thing. That's what I want us to remember and take note of here. And so, you know, like I said, Balaam goes and he gives it a try. But watch what God says to him in Numbers 23 verse 12. Firstly, And God said to Balaam, Notice, not Balak, Balaam, the one who was called upon to curse them. Thou shalt not go with them. That's Balak's party that he sent to, to get him. Thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. In other words, what God said to Balaam is, You cannot curse what I have blessed. In other words, you cannot undo what I have done. Now, I'm going to run ahead of myself here, but you'll see why. God had given the Israelites righteousness through the animal sacrifice system. Because remember, it's a type and shadow of Jesus. So as they sacrificed, and they were doing that faithfully, and as they did that, God imputed righteousness to them. God imputed right standing to them. So this is why Micah is reminding the people of his time, who obviously needed to be reminded, because there were things going on there which we won't get into today. But he's reminding them, don't forget not just how righteous God is, but how His righteousness works for you. And see, this is what I am doing today for us. I am reminding you not just how righteous God is, but the righteousness that you and I have and how it works for us. 
And so the first thing we need to see there is, is that you cannot undo what God has done. Balaam was trying to undo what God has done. And God said, you can't. They are blessed. You cannot curse them. So the story goes on. Watch us now in Numbers 23, the same chapter, verse 38. And Balaam said to Balak. So when he eventually got there, this man says to the king Balak, Look, I have come to you. Now have I any power at all to say anything? The word that God puts in my mouth, that I must speak. In other words, it's another way of saying, I am here because you requested for me to be here, and you're the king, so I'm here honoring you. But here's what you need to understand. I can't do anything in and of myself. I can only do what God tells me to do and what God has revealed to me. I can only speak the words over these people that God tells me to speak, that God has spoken. Now, in other words, what really, it's, it's, it's a nice way of saying, I cannot undo what God has done. I cannot curse what God has, whom God has blessed. But I'm here anyway. And so Balak insists and he says, okay, let's go ahead. And so foolishly, they go up on hills and they sacrifice. Even though they were pagan, they understood well enough the sacrificial system. So Balaam sacrifices, not realizing that those very sacrifices are actually working in the favor of God's people and not Balak because he's pagan. So even that righteousness is just reinforced right there for them. But anyway, that's also a different thing altogether. And so remember that this whole account is about learning God's righteousness and how it works. Micah was saying that to his people and I'm saying that to us today. And so watch what happens now in the next chapter, uh, 24, Numbers 24, verse 10. And Balak's anger was kindled against Balaam. And he smote his hands together. And Balak said unto Balaam, I called thee to curse my enemies. And behold, you have altogether blessed them these three times. In other words, what happened is, is that Balaam tried to curse the people three times. And Balak tried to, curse, to get him to curse the Israelites, God's people, three times. And he failed. He didn't succeed. And so by the end of the third time, Balak was just absolutely frustrated. He was mad. And he basically just said, get out of my sight <laughs> to, to Balaam. And so he failed. So Balaam was unable to reverse what God had done. Why? Because God imputed righteousness to Israel on the basis of the sacrificial system. In other words, on the basis of Jesus and the finished work of the cross, because that's what that is a type and shadow of. So what I'm saying to you is, is, can our righteousness be lost, reversed, or undone? No, it cannot. And this is a powerful Old Testament example to show us that, because it's about the righteousness of God and how, not just how righteous He is, but also how His righteousness works for those He imputes it to, which is you. This is how His righteousness works. And so, because God is righteous, He protected the righteousness He imputed to the people. And so, He prevented it from being reversed. That's, in essence, what we see there. And so, Micah was reminding the people of his time about that, because they were in a place where they needed to be reminded about the righteousness they have 
through the sacrificial system, in other words, through Jesus and the finished work of the cross, because they also needed a victory at that time. And that's what I am reminding us of today, that we have this wonderful righteousness that cannot be reversed, lost, or undone. You are as righteous as God, God is, and you will always be. Now, someone may say, well, hold on a minute. I'm not so sure about that. Maybe you're just stretching this one a little bit too far. Well, let me show you just the power of God's imputed righteousness. Because here's the thing. Remember, God makes us righteous outside of our merit and performance. He forgives us for our sin. When we receive salvation, we receive forgiveness. And we receive the free gift of eternal life right? So as far as God is concerned, from the moment you receive salvation in Jesus, He no longer sees you as unrighteous or unholy. He doesn't see it that way. He sees you as righteous and holy. This is why He gives you access and enjoys a relationship with you. So it's not that He turns a blind eye to it. He just doesn't see it as who you are. He doesn't see it as your identity, right? And that's exactly what God did with the Israelites. And this is why Balaam said, you cannot reverse what God has done. In other words, in context of what we're talking about here today, is what Balaam was in essence saying is, you cannot curse whom God has made righteous. You cannot take their righteousness away. That's what he was saying. Let me prove that to you in the very same chapter 23, Numbers 23, verse 21. Watch what Balaam says, which God revealed to Balaam. He says, talking about God, He has not observed iniquity in Jacob. That's Israel, another name for Israel. Nor has He seen wickedness in Israel. The Lord His God is with Him, and the shout of a king is among them. Because God imputed righteousness to them through the sacrificial system, and because God is righteous about His righteousness, it says that God didn't observe iniquity, which is sin, and He didn't see wickedness, which is also a reference to sin. He didn't observe it, and He didn't see it. And He is with Him, and the shout of a king is among In other words, He rules and reigns among them. That is pretty powerful stuff. Now notice, it doesn't say, listen carefully, it does not say that there was no iniquity or wickedness in Israel, because we know that there was. We read the whole thing, you can see that there was. What it is saying is, is that God did not regard it or consider it. It doesn't mean He approved of unrighteousness. It doesn't mean He approved of iniquity or wickedness. It just means that because He is righteous and He imputed righteousness to them, God did not regard their iniquity and He did not consider their iniquity because He imputed righteousness to them. Now this is where we've got to be careful because the legalist will say, see, that's giving people a license to sin. Well, if someone is going to take that that way, they need a different kind of heart surgery, right? I know you hear me say that often. But here's my point. It doesn't change gospel truth and spiritual realities. And the fact is, is, is that it tells us right there that because God saw them as righteous, He did not regard or consider their iniquity and wickedness, their sin, in other words. 
And that's how God's righteousness works. And this is why it, cannot, it could not be reversed. Because if it could be reversed, all Balaam would have had to do is begin to shout and say, God, let me remind you about the sins of the Israelites. They are doing this and this and that and that. Going on with this and sinning like this, sinning like this. He could have given a list. And God would have heard it, would have considered it, would have observed it, would have seen it, and would have said, you're right, Balaam. Let me reverse the righteousness and let the curse reign. But he didn't. Because how God's righteousness works is that once he gives it to you, it is yours. And especially for us in the new covenant. In the old covenant, it was on credit, if you will. It was temporary from sacrifice to sacrifice. Well, Jesus is the sacrifice for all time. So you and I have this righteousness 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. It is ours for life. Amen. And so it cannot be reversed. It cannot be undone. Amen. And it's on the basis of Jesus and the finished work of the cross. So the assurance of their right standing was not based on the fact that they didn't sin or they didn't have sin in their lives. It was based on the fact that they had applied the sacrifices which were a type of Jesus and the finished work of the cross. And that is the basis of our right standing with God today as believers. It is on the basis of Jesus and the finished work of the cross, who he, how He redeemed us and who we become in and through Him. Amen. Now, to just put a cherry on the cake, watch this. Deuteronomy 23 verse 5. Watch what it says about that very same account. You know, when Balaam was attempting to curse them. He says, Nevertheless, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam. But the Lord your God, watch this, turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loves you. Look at that. So God didn't just protect their righteousness and didn't see their iniquity and wickedness because He imputed righteousness to them. But also He ignored Balaam's curses. And what He did is He turned those curses that were proclaimed into actual blessings because He loves them. And He loved them because He made them righteous. Now how much more does that work for you and me who live in the real, not in the type and shadow? You see, God won't listen to someone who tries to put curses on us. He will ignore them. And He ignores them. But what He'll also do is He will turn those curses into blessings because He loves us. And He loves us because He made us righteous in Jesus. Amen. It is powerful, powerful stuff. Amen. This is why, you know, sometimes people say, oh, you know, so-and-so said this about you, and aren't you concerned about this? About no, because God turns anything spoken against me into foolishness, first of all, and any curse spoken over me is turned into a blessing. And when I say me, I'm talking about you too. Amen. So <laughs> praise God for God's wonderful goodness. Amen. So the freeing truth about right standing with God is, is that once you have it, it is yours. For your entire existence, this life and eternity to come. It cannot be lost, it cannot be reversed, it cannot be undone. That is the freeing truth about right standing with God. Amen. Why? Because it's not based on your merit or your performance. It is based on Jesus and the finished work of the cross. And just in case you need a final 
tie down to that truth. Let's end off with reading Hebrews 10, verse 10 uh, to 18, but we're going to jump verses here. We're not going to read the whole portion here just because of time, okay? Watch what it says there from the New Living Translation. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. In other words, when God made you holy, He also made you righteous, right? And so there it is, once for all time. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins completely, because they have to keep on doing it. But, it says, our high priest, that's Jesus, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, watch this, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at the right, uh, God's right hand. In other words, he's now at rest, so we can be at rest in the fact that we have been made holy and righteous before God. Amen. Once for all time. Then it says in verse 14, For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. That's you. You are forever holy, therefore you are forever righteous. Amen. And then verse 18 says, And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. That solidifies for us the wonderful gospel truth that we have right standing before God and with God in and through Jesus. Not on the basis of our merit or performance, but on the basis of what Jesus did to redeem us. And it is by God's grace and it is received by believing, by faith. That settles it. That is gospel truth. And we live in that freedom. Amen. Praise God. Praise God for his wonderful righteousness in Jesus. Aren't you glad you are righteous before God, that you have right standing with God and it will never change. Amen. And in case you ever doubt that, remember Micah. Amen. Remember that account with Balak and Balaam. Praise God. We trust that you are blessed by this message. For more information about our ministry or to make a donation to help us continue spreading the gospel, please visit our website at redemptioninjesus.com.